HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Takikotema, a food writer, the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, iwame, nizakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Tomo Matsushita, who is the spirit, spirit sommelier at the Copper and Oak in Lower East Side, New York. Spirits are very popular in the, in the U.S., and if you look at the alcohol beverage market in 2021, beer was the most popular, which accounted for 43% of the market. And the spirits are almost as popular as beer, and their market share was 41%, and the remaining was mostly wine. And spirits are delicious, but if you don't know much about them, it is hard to choose what to drink. And Tomo is the expert who can help you not only to choose what spirit and what brand to drink, but also to understand the story behind each label. And at Cooper Oak, he serves 1,400 labels of spirits. And Tomo's passion and knowledge of spirits are well recognized in the spirits industry, and he received the title of the Icon of Whiskey America in 2021. And as you may know, Japanese whiskey has been one of the hottest categories of spirits in recent years, and Copper and Oak carries 130 Japanese whiskey levels, which is probably the largest number in the whole country. So today we'll discuss Tomo's unique background outside being a spirit sommelier, why Japanese whiskey is different from other types of whiskeys like scotch and bourbon, which Japanese whiskey brands you should try, how to taste Japanese whiskey, and much, much more. But before we start, Japanese is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. 
Now let's start a conversation with Tomo Matsushita. Hello, Tomo. Welcome to the show. Hi, Aiko-san. So,、uh, to get to know you, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up?、Uh, I'm from、uh, Osaka, Japan. I moved in the United States, like,、uh, actually, straight to New York when I was、uh, 20. And I'm here for almost 16 years right now. Right.、Uh, I. The, since I'm from Osaka, the Osaka food culture is a little unique compared to other cities in Japan, I guess. Because、uh, we are known for konamon, which is like a flour and then sauce. And the sauce is almost like a soy, you know, barbecue sauce in here. So it's like a street food. That's how I have been eating when I was kids.、Mm, interesting, right? So, I mean, people think of Japanese cuisine like Kyoto Kaiseki, but right next to it, it's Osaka. And the food culture is completely different. Like you said, it's a street food heaven. So, that's, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, like the, you know, the home of Okonomiyaki, for example. So, konamon is a good term to know. It's like carbs and、uh, everything delicious. So, anyway, so you have a very unique background apart from being a spirit expert. So, could you tell us how you got into the world of spirits? So, I, I was kind of curious when I was a kid, I was curious about the spirits. But first, I just think for you, I was thinking when I was a kid, like I want to be a bartender at some point. So, I was brought back. It's not even trained. Like when I start training, I, right before I start moving, I already moved into the United States. So, but I was working in one of the hotel、uh, lounge in Japan, in Osaka. And after that, I came here. I went to school. After I graduated, I started working with a, the, one of the sushi chefs who just graduated from Amasa. And then Over there, like, we do some、uh, cocktail program, something more close to what I hate to call it the、uh, kind of mixology stuff. So I skip all that、uh, good, like a Japanese authentic, like a foundation, good, really foundation of Japanese bartending. I just go straight into the mixology part.、Mm. And then、um, after that, I decide to. I, I want to learn something more. Like, really, I need a good foundation for making cocktails. So I knocked the door at the B flat, who opened the, the Angel Share, the one of the very old school Japanese authentic bar. And then my friend, who actually worked as a beverage manager at the, the Copper and Oak and the Brand Library. And then one day he asked me to work. And then here I am, I'm still stuck with them. Right. Yeah, so it sounds like you had a very good、um, training. And if you're trained in Japanese hotel, that means that you really have the classic training. So that was a good start.、Um, yeah, and then、um, of course, Angel Share,、uh, that's really like the. Uh, unfortunately, it's,、uh, it's gone now, but it's like the shrine of Japanese cocktail in New York. So. But I, I... I didn't work at the Angel Share. He, the Shin, the,、uh, the first, he actually created the space and then he opened his own bar.、Oh. It's called B flat. Ah, and okay. Then, 
I, I was at the B flat for like uh, two, three years. Mm, right. So that's the family of uh, the angel share and the B flat. I remember in Tribeca, that has yes. been really uh, had a great reputation too. So, great. And uh, yeah, and well, you didn't mention, but do you have a master's degree in forensic psychology? And so, how does it help you with your job as a spirit sommelier? I. I I mean I always say like I have a the psychology degree in you know when I was in school, and then I I think somehow like when I sell something like uh, when I pour something I always think about how people think in their mind, but then forensic part I'm not super sure I'm not looking for criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. I hope not too. Right. <laughs> Okay. Well, you control people's uh, how much they drink, so you're good, <laughs> right? Um, so, but I I know that, and as I mentioned in introduction, I understand you are very passionate about telling stories behind each label. So it sounds like your master's degree of psychology deeply relates to the story part of your service, right? I yeah, especially when I talk into people when I pour something. I often I know that people always have a bias, so sometimes I even hide in the label, and then I just told them like a try, and if you like it, you can take it, and then if you don't like it, I can pick something else. But some bottle, let's say like a Canadian whiskey in the United States, it's somehow like a people looking down, but then Canadian whiskey is amazing. So when I want to sell, let's say, Alberta or some like a Canadian club or some uh, Canadian whiskey, that I always want to hide in the label because uh, I know as soon as the people see the bottle, they even though before tasting, like uh, they already thinking like it's they don't like it. We, even though whiskey is amazing, mm. and uh, I would say ninety percent like uh, people pick by the label or name. So I. Those kind of stuff I do all the time. I pray all the time. And then that I'm sure it's coming from a psychology part. Mm, interesting. Right. It's, uh, we always have bias about, <laughs> even like, you know, speaking about Japanese whiskey, uh, just uh, pretty much until uh, fairly recently, they are ignored and, um, and nobody wanted to buy Japanese whiskey. It is now what's happening. So, yeah, you are kind of interpreting the... <laughs> meaning behind the labels too. So, okay, so let's talk about spirits. So one of the most popular categories of spirits at the copper and oak right now? Uh, we sell little by little. I mean, there are a lot of people really interested in the Japanese whiskey, but as a category, we have a copper and oak, we have 130 bottles of Japanese whiskey, which is like one of the biggest collection in New York. And then, mm. but I, I would say like uh, for category, we sell more whiskey, but we sell some like uh, the other world whiskey too. So, but I know rum is kind of still very kind of hard to sell because the people don't really drink in the rum. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like you, your world's very important because, um, 
how do you drink rum? Like, I, I don't know exactly. And I'm sure there are great ways to drink it. And just because it's not, well, no, it's like a Japanese sake I showed you. You need education to, to learn. So, yeah. So, right. But then, like, uh, rum is like a primary, like, really fast, the distilled spirits. And then when the rum come, came to the United States, like, people start making rye and then moving to bourbon. So, but I don't know. I yeah. That my boss has been doing the business, the having the bar for like about twenty years, and then he also said like uh, in United States, rum is the kind of still kind of hard to sell category. Mm-hmm. But um, in Europe, people drink in rum all the time. So right, yeah. Well, I I really wanted to uh, remember that the your boss, uh, who is also the owner of the. Um, institutional famous brandy library in Tribeca right so uh, that's an amazing place and I think if you're spirits rubber you really need to know the name uh, the brandy library so yeah it sounds like you really have the good collection based on the knowledge and experience of the owner of the brandy library so okay and so it's like you mentioned you have um, uh, one of the biggest selections of Japanese whiskey um in the U.S., and you carry around 103 labels, which is huge. So, and Japanese whiskey has been popular uh, for a while, like now, and then in the U.S., and even here, popular labels are allocated to each, each distributor because it's not much made. It's too popular that um, the producers are not ready to sell so much. So when did Japanese whiskey become so popular and why? As I understand, there's a the whiskey Bible and then written by the Jim Murray. And 2015, the, he picked the Yamazaki Sherry Cask, the 2013 as the best whiskey in the world. And then since then, like, people discovered Japanese whiskey. And then along with that, the Hibiki or any other Japanese whiskey start getting ours. So then for me, that's the end of the world. <laughs> The mm. price price went up too high right now, but before it was too cheap, I would say. Right. Yeah, and I heard that, that you know, the the Yamazaki, uh, that's really one of the classic whiskeys by Santori, and um, it was aged in sherry cask. And uh, what was amazing, I heard, is that um, the Jim Mary, the author of The Guide, he had never awarded that coveted title, uh, you know, the whiskey of the year, to not to anything but a scotch from Scotland um, in the 12-year history of his whiskey Bible. So that was like, wow, suddenly Japanese and there's nobody else other than scotch whiskey. So that really was a big deal. That's why everybody realized, oh, this Japanese whiskey is something different. So that's interesting, a great thing for Japanese whiskey. And um, I found a statistic. So the total Japanese whiskey exports have risen by... 1,478% between 2010 to 2020. So it's according to the Japanese government. So you can tell how suddenly Japanese whiskey became popular. Um, so uh, we'll quick, I'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll dive into uh, different types of Japanese whiskey and what is so special about Japanese whiskey. So please stay with us.
Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs on Heritage Radio Network, HRN. I'm your host, Toki Katema. My guest today is Tomo Matsushita, who is the spirit sommelier at the Copper and Oak in Lower East Side, New York. So, um, so there are many different styles of whiskey in the world, and there's a distinctive charm about Japanese whiskey. So, first of all, what is the history of Japanese whiskey? So, Jap- I, I would say that as a Japanese whiskey, the making is really starting from uh, the, the, as the first Japanese whiskey distillery in Japan, so Yamazaki. Because uh, there's a one, the Masataka Taketsuru, who went to Scotland, and after he learned how to make a whiskey, and then when he came back, he helped... Uh, the family the, of a Santori to create the first city in Japan. And that was like a night, uh, last, next year, actually, the, the 100, 100 years anniversary. So they opened in uh, 1923. And that's how I would say Japanese whiskey started. Mm, right. Yeah. So um, the, the, this gentleman who technically learned everything in Scotland about whiskey making, that's, uh, you know, Masataka Taketsuri you just mentioned. Um, he is the one technical person. And uh, the Shinjiro Tori, he's the founder of Santori, which makes Yamazaki and Hibiki, and it's Santori time, you know, in the movie. So um, he was a really such a forward-minded person. And this uh, Masataka Taketsuru, he, I heard he's a son of... Uh, sake brewer family and he worked for some other sake brewery and that sake brewery wanted to start popular spirits and then he was sent to Scotland but then something happened uh, that brewery who sent him to Scotland to scrap the plan to make a brewery so this uh, Masata Gatagetsuru was teaching at the <laughs> middle school <laughs> and then he was not doing anything related to um, whiskey making. But then Shinjiro Tori, the founder of Santori, uh, hired him, and that was really the foundation of Japanese whiskey. So it's kind of like only two people, but they made the whole foundation of Japanese whiskey. And uh, I think the first whiskey was made in 1929. So it's almost like fairly recently compared to the history of Scotland. So yeah, it's amazing how much Japanese people made progress within 100 years or so. Yeah, the first uh, 
I mean, there are so many legal distillery back in the den, but、um, the first the whiskey you can find for distillery you can find in the whole world is a、uh, Bushmill, which is a six o eight, so sixteen o eight. So it's still like a whiskey making、uh, for in the world. It's been like only five hundred ish, I would say.、Mm. But then.、Um, Yeah, Scotch whiskey. I would say like a, most of the story, it's, a, it's about like two, three hundred years. So、mm-hmm. we are still kind of new. I mean, as a Japanese whiskey, but still we have a really long history. Right. Yeah, and then like everything else, Japanese people decided to try to pursue something obsessively and create something in its own category. So Japanese whiskey is one of those、uh, products. I think. Um, so, what is the difference between Japanese whiskey and other types of whiskey, such as Scotch and Bourbon, in terms of the production methods and the style of taste? So, I, as I understand, that basically like Japanese whiskey or Scottish style. So it's totally wrong. People say Japanese Scotch whiskey, but then I would say. The way like a Japanese whiskey started, it's a、uh, most likely Scottish style. So I would say Japanese whiskey is somehow Scottish style, but then American whiskey is then totally different. The、uh, the distillation process is the shape is different, but somehow similar. But then they have to use like a very specific cask to make a、uh, American whiskey, the bourbon rye wheat. Uh, American the Scotch whiskey they use like always a reused cask, which is the ex bourbon or ex sherry or some wine cask. And then Japanese whiskey also same way that we barely use the the cask like the American whiskey. We always using the ex bourbon cask or sherry cask. But then、uh, what actually makes Yamazaki or the Hakushu actually. That makes so unique. Even in right now, actually in the Japanese whiskey category too, but they have like a multiple different shape of a still, and then they basically can make like a, so many different type of、uh, spirits in one distillery. But、uh, it's basically single malt. The according to like a Scottish whiskey association, the You can actually blend in a single distillery, which people misunderstand all the time. But to be called single malt is a hundred percent malted barley coming from a single distillery. So you can blend what we call batting, the V A T T I N G, but basically blend to make a the single malt. And so the let's say Yamazaki and the Hakushu distillery. They can distill multiple different style of spirits, and then in order to make Yamazaki Twelve, they all maturing a different cask from a different still, and eventually they、uh, blended. That really including like you know the involving like the art of a blend, but the to blend to make a Yamazaki single malt, but then、uh, Nika is open by all. Founded by the Masataka Taketsuru, who is we call the father of、uh, Japanese whiskey, he wanted make the、um, Scotch style, really Scotch whiskey in Japan. 
So if you visit his distillery, the Yoichi and the Miyagi Kyo, you actually more really think that's actual Scott whiskey distillery, like, because、uh, he only uses the same shape of a still to create the same whiskey. And then they still, the branding part is like,、uh, yeah, the, probably the key to make a Japanese whiskey in the case.、Mm, right. Yeah, so it's based on scotch, but、um, there is a distinctive difference. And、uh, one thing I noticed is that,、um, you know, like because Santori started the whole whiskey production, it's been dominant for a while. And、um, so they make everything、uh, from scratch. So you need different kinds of whiskey to blend, which, like you said, blending is really a key component of Japanese whiskey. So they control vertically 100%. So they make ingredient whiskeys, and up until bottling, they control everything. So it's like a meticulously controlled flavor. And、uh, I mean, Scotland, you can buy、uh, whiskey ingredients. Like base whiskies from other distilleries, but in the case of Japanese whiskey,、um, the majority、uh, has been just made everything controlled by one company. And、um, so that's why the blending becomes perfect. And,、uh, you know, the、uh, chief brand of Fukuyo of Santori, who joined us a while ago on this program,、uh, so he said usually、uh, he can blend and to make his, you know, Yamazaki or his Hibiki whiskies, he mixes、um, six to 20 different base whiskies, which is very, very different from, say, like bourbon is out of three. So, yeah, so blending, the art of blending is also the Japanese whiskies' major characteristic, I heard.、Um, yeah, so it's, it's similar to. Scotland, but Japanese whiskey is very different.、Um, yeah, so,、um, and also, what do you think about the peat flavor? Peat is、um, used in Scotland heavily to dry, you know, make the malt, and it's kind of smoky. It's sometimes overly smoky to some people. Do you see、uh, less peat in Japanese whiskeys? So, I would say until Very recent, like、uh, 90s, 70s, or like、uh, 60s, that still, the, you know, the, as a Japanese, we know sake, which is a fermented、uh, rice, like a, we call rice whiskey in here sometimes. Also, like a, we drink a lot of beers, and,、um, but also in, for Japanese palate, we always eat and then drink. So we don't. We are not really super familiar with、uh, something very strong flavor, strong alcohol, strong spirits. So, we are not really, especially back in the day when Yamazaki distillery founded or Yoichi distillery founded, I guess like nobody, I assume nobody likes whiskey because it's too strong. So, we always mix with、uh, soda or water. Yes, so yeah, it is interesting, right?、Um, because The Japanese、um, alcohol culture t e n d to drink and eat, eat and drink, they're pairing the sake and the shochu,、uh, same thing. So that makes sense that people don't want to have huge peat flavor, which is very smoky. And also, I mean, American bourbon itself is, you know, the new oak flavor, 
and toasted new oak, which is like vanilla and caramel and delicious, but probably won't go well with Japanese food. So yeah, that's another element. People tend to have mild uh, whiskey, which is a Japanese style whiskey, because you can pair it with food. Although, um, yeah, that uh, the highball, whiskey highball, uh, mixed with soda water, that's like versatile. You can drink by itself and also keep paired with um, good food, Japanese or non-Japanese food. So, Yeah, so uh, I would say when you're making highball, uh, it would be actually better with a little bit of peat. So, but as I tried, sorry, I just, I tried to explain that, uh, uh, yeah, our food culture or drinking culture is always with the food. So the peat is like a very strong, very dominant uh, part. And then plus like, a, uh, you can actually find the peat in Japan, but then basically it's a natural resource. So the Japanese government doesn't want to even allow us to use the peat. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, like a Scot- Scotland, let's say if you go there, you barely even see forests or trees. So there's nothing they can burn except the peat. Uh-huh. And peat, peat is like organic matter coming from the from ground. So they dig like a seven, eight feet deep to take around like a two feet of a peat. And they dry and they make a, basically make a tea because they need, need to make a fire by the peat or hmm. they're cooking by the peat. So it's like a back in the day, like a before all the, the oils of all the gas coming to the Scotland. Mm, then that's the only resource, the actual natural resource they have. And right. then that has a really distinct flavor. And then I personally love it, but I'm sure back in the day, like the Japanese people are not really familiar. Mm. So, but then... Yeah. That's why I assume like uh, around like a 70, 1970, 1973, the Hakushu was built up. It's uh, by the Yama Santori. And then I assume like uh, around the time like Santori finally started thinking uh, Japanese people drinking more whiskey and then they are more accept the flavor of peat. So Hakushu is like, uh, it's not super heavy. They, they make a heavy repeat too, but they're always like a 12 years, 18 years, the 25 years. It's very faint, not a gentle peat. Mm. But I think that's around the time nearly Japanese people really accepting like a flavor of a peat. Mm, interesting. Oh, wow. That's like a very um, out of necessity and terroir-driven Scottish peat. So I have to remember that. Um, okay. And then, yeah, we... Uh, we said how quickly Japanese whiskey has become popular uh, since 2015. So, um, so since then, we have seen a flux of a new labels called Echo um, Japanese whiskey in the Japanese domestic market as well as the global market, which is exported from Japan. But um, some people don't like them to be called Japanese whiskey. So, what is the issue here? So. The issue is Jap- in Japan, we actually don't really have a Japanese whiskey like uh, as a category. And I mean, there's a Japanese whiskey, but it's not like a really regulated by the law, the government. Let's say when you talk about Scotch whiskey, there's a actually a very distinct, like a very strict 
flour to make a scotch whiskey. And basically, you have to everything make in Scotland. And also, they also mentioned how long they need to stay, uh, keep in uh, old cask for maturation. But and also, let's say if you talk about uh, when you talk about the American whiskey, you can go to the TTB to see all the regulation to make a bourbon, rye, American whiskey, or blended whiskey. But then if you check the Japanese, like a garment page, they, they don't really mention about uh, what, how to make a Japanese whiskey. So basically, really, you can actually make anything to make a Japanese whiskey. Even though, let's say I, dis- I get Scotch whiskey, I pour into the looks like I prepare Japanese in bottles, and I, I don't even need to blend. I can sell the Japanese whiskey. <laughs> and, uh, it's extremely <laughs> to say, but it is yeah, it's cheating. But the nothing, nobody against me to you know stop doing it. So I can just sell as a Japanese whiskey. But then, if somebody asks me if it's Japanese whiskey, I would say no because it's. I would mm. say maybe as a Japanese. I, I, I am Japanese, so I would say I battle for you, but inside of the 100% scotch whiskey. Mm. Right, so. so nobody likes those free riders just because Japanese whiskey name sells. And inside, it's not. It's a low-quality uh, non-Japanese um, spirits called whatever it is. You can just purchase at very cheap price because there's no quality control. So... Yeah, I really think it's a bad dilution of the quality-driven Japanese whiskey. So that's something like, I understand why people, some people get upset. And I I hope something is going to happen to control, you know, what's uh, actually being controlled. So, and uh, just to complicate the situation a little further, um, there is a category of whiskey that is made of shochu, which is Japanese traditional spirits made with, um, you know, cozy mold. So um, there's an issue um, of sh- people don't, some people don't like um, sh- uh, the, what's called the whiskey made with shochu. So what is the issue here? So I, it is actually the issue too, but I would say it would be, I, I understand that the, you know, the shochu has like an even longer history in Japan, like a, like a four or five hundred year history. And the whiskey is like a very new, it's still hundred hundred years. But shochu is like a distilled spirits made also from uh, grain. And like it can be like a sweet potato, barley, like a whiskey. And also can be rice or like a, the buckwheat, like a soba. Uh, and Shochu is a shochu, so, and then shochu producer has been making shochu for 100, 100 years. And then all of a sudden, like, some people start making the whiskey out of shochu. So they have a problem making shochu, and why you start selling whiskey all of a sudden because of a Japanese whiskey can sell as a brand name, as a, they can sell a lot. So that would be the probably the issue. But um, as a spirits, I would say it would be nice to have a, like a little more category 
or variety and the Japanese whiskey. Those are in, in the end, like let's say, if people drink as a Japanese whiskey, it's made out of shochu, and then some people like it, and then maybe they can actually move to shochu, and then maybe shochu as a category can be also famous in the rest of the world. Because shochu is basically very only consumed in Japan. It's not like worldwide. So I, as a person, I, this is like actually a great, cho- a great opportunity for shochu to be spread around. But um, I also understand that uh, uh, shochu is shochu, and then I love shochu too. So it's, every time I drink like a sh- the whiskey made out of shochu, I think in like a, this is shochu, it's not whiskey. <laughs> Mm, right. It's interesting, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping that uh, shochu is uh, going to be following the path of sake, which is now becoming popular, although it's not, you know, widely drunk throughout the country yet. But, um, yeah, it's a great quality, high quality, traditional, uh, valuable um, beverage. And uh, we, as we discussed earlier, in, ja- in Japan, people add some water or hot water or something really balanced way to drink shochu with food, which is great because you can control the alcohol level and it's really clean, very local ingredients, very representative of the region that's produced. And yeah, just like, you know, we both very strongly about the value of the preciousness of shochu. Um, but then this whiskey thing, so there are two camps of this shochu made into whiskey. So one is just like, uh, air quote, Japanese whiskey in the, within the bottle with who knows where it's like cheap scotch or something like really uh, low quality item. And then in Japan, the shochu makers can distill new spirits because their facility already has, you know, distilling um, equipment. So that's, there's no quality guarantee but uh, the other camp of the Japanese shochu-based whiskey, um, I got to know one of them is the Fukano whiskey, which is a traditional shochu producer in Kumamoto. And then they started um, aging their premium shochu in oak barrel in 80s. And that was great. And they were hoping to just sell as shochu in the market in Japan, but when Margaret Thatcher um, pressured the Japanese government, you can't sell colored shochu because it's going to compete with scotch. So the Japanese government banned to sell um, the whiskey colored shochu in the market. So, um, so this kind of whiskey is one of the examples that forever sleeping in the barrel shochu mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's no way to be sold in the market in Japan was discovered by an American um, spirit um, distributor. And now it's sold as kind of whiskey and I tasted it. It's amazing. So I think even shochu-based whiskey can be two ways. It can be really good quality or just really like, what is this? It's, it shouldn't be called Japanese whiskey because the quality is so bad. So it, the market right now is very confusing because 
Japanese whiskey became popular just because of the quality recognized by the Whiskey Bible. But currently, it's a chaos. So hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's also the issue for the, as in, within the Japanese whiskey. Because, uh, as I mentioned, there's no actual category or like, uh, regulation. So the like a Santori Yoichi has been making whiskey almost 100 years. And all of a sudden, shochu producers start making whiskey. Short, whiskey shochu or shochu whiskey. So then, is this same spirits? I want to say it's different. So mm. I, they said like a, even copper and oak, I don't put on the same shelf that the actual Scottish whiskey style Japanese whiskey, like uh, Yamazaki, Hakushu, Yoichi, or even new new producer, like uh, let's say Akeshi, it's like a heavy repeat, but it's from uh, Hokkaido, but they're really making the Scottish way to make a uh, whiskey. So I put all the whiskey from an uh, old school way to make uh, like a Scottish style whiskey on the one side. But the other side, like, I, I put the all rice base or shochu base whiskey because uh, I want to make it separate clearly because uh, this is uh, old school Japanese whiskey. And if you want to try something, we often say like a new terroir or a new territory, like a new Japanese whiskey, you can try like a you know, shochu base whiskey. So I still want to always, when I work at the copper and oak, I always say, this is not traditional, and this is traditional. And then you, I suggest like you should starting from a base. And then as a spirit, I, again, like I like a shochu based whiskey too. But uh, I can't say that's a traditional whiskey. Because, uh, that's clearly shochu. It's mm. a little higher, higher proof to try to get into the Jap whiskey category. But some. Let's say some shochu based whiskey cannot sell in Japan as a whiskey because, as you mentioned, the Japanese government clearly want to keep shochu, shochu as a category in Japan. So, even whiskey or any spirits, it depends on the country, they have a different definition. So, it is, I Every time I work in there, or I suggest, or I talk about whiskey, I have to distinguish what's shochu base and what's Scottish like way to make a Japanese whiskey. Right. I really think also taste-wise, I, I find um, the koji-based shochu creates kind of milder uh, mouthfeel, and also it's kind of rounded taste as well, even if the color looks like whiskey. So yeah, it's just uh, maybe we have to come up with a new category <laughs> instead of like um, calling shochu as whiskey. Um, we have to find the best way to really um, not lose the, the special nature of shochu itself. And just because Japanese whiskey name works for selling shochu-based colored shochu, um, spirits that uh, it doesn't sound yeah, 
quite right right now. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, let's talk about Coburn Oak because I found it very unique and the space is very cozy, personal, and a bit of magical. And I feel it comes from the walls of wonderful spirits and the, I think, ambience you create personally too. So tell us about Coburn Oak. How does it look like and um, uh, what is your mission at Coburn Oak? So Coburn Oak is tiny, very tiny place. Like we have a nearly 1,400 bottle of whiskey, brandy, mezcal, tequila, rum. So it's a... All spirits for sipping. Uh, we, when we start opening in 2014, uh, we still offer a little small cube of ice. But then after two years, like uh, we really stick with like no ice policy, and also we don't make any cocktails, so it's really sipping. But then we offer we offer one shot and half shot, which is a two ounce and one ounce. So people sometimes come here to just try the one ounce before they commit like a whole bottle to buy in a liquor store. So it is very cool concept. Because the brandy library, we also have a actually bigger collection, but then we also provide like experience of like a very luxury lounge bar. So we have ice, we have a cocktail, we have a food without the nice looking like a couch and then so it's a different style of a bar but mm, almost the opposite right brandy yeah, library totally is like opposite, luxurious yeah. like spacious and but then copernog is like don't tell anybody this is my <laughs> my space <laughs> <laughs> like secret and very um personal but then um, i think a cup and dog is the place like uh, people can discover something new. So it is hard to sell something that the people see everywhere. Like, uh, you know, Johnny Walker we have, and then we have a 10 different Johnny Walker. But um, I would say people see in uh, other places all the time. So Johnny Walker is kind of hard to sell. On the other hand, like uh, some other branded whiskey like uh, we can sell easy because uh, people want to discover something new. So like uh, the back to the first question, like. Uh, we have a, uh, like a, we always offer something new. So whiskey as a category, we sell most, but um, let's say if you drink a PD whiskey, the Scotch whiskey or Japanese whiskey, there's something's PD. Why don't you try the mezcal? There's a phenol content is quite similar. Uh, it's made from agave, but it is different spirits and different flavor, but it's something linked to like a phenol that you can find in a mezcal and uh, PD whiskey. So maybe you can try mezcal tonight or something, if you like a bourbon, something caramel, honey, like a heavy spirits. So why don't you try that armagnac, which is a French like a grape-based spirits, but then somehow you can find a kind of very similar uh, tasting profile can maybe link to why you usually drink. So I I think I, in a, a copper and milk, I, I also probably like to challenge people sometimes, but I offer something new. So mm -hmm. I think that's my, probably also one of the mission, a copper and milk. 
And I, I really enjoy. Mm. Yeah, I really respect that. How can you remember fourteen、uh, hundred labels? And you know, you can really have to.、Uh, you have to understand this flavor profile and also the stories behind it. And I think it's like a librarian in a way, like you know, the classic books. And it sounds like a lot of fun. And also,、um, you know, your space is really,、um, you know, because of the colors of the whiskey and the spirits. It's kind of very interesting space. It's almost like you went to a medieval castle or something, and it's such a very narrow. You know, you're very in front of me when I go there, and I can really talk to you and ask questions about what you're offering. So. I really think it's a very special place. Yeah, that's、uh, the the concept. The, the one of the concepts also like we play only eighties music because my boss said like、uh, all the whiskey drinker has to go through the eighties. <laughs> but, but also,、uh, yeah, it's, it's I basically when when I pour something, I need to tell something about whiskey or any whiskey brand in Mexico. Take care. I need to give like、uh, some information. And、um, yeah, so I I always need to talk to. <laughs> right, yeah. So、um, I mean, you are the only person, basically, right, who's、uh, managing the space. So if we listeners go there, it's tomorrow. That's it's gonna be you, right, waiting for your guests. Uh, yeah. At this moment, like after pandemic,、uh, two of my our colleague left to the country. So I'm the only one sadly working there. I mean, I enjoy, <laughs> but. And also, that's why, like,、uh, it's if I keep selling same bottles, I get bored, and then I want to find something what、uh, you know our guests like, and then especially they like to discover something new. So I need to sell a little by little for everywhere, basically. Right. Okay. And then, so who's your customer? Uh, after pandemic, they actually it's it's. Really changing because、uh, before pandemic or around pandemic, there's a lot of、uh, medical people coming, but then now it's all IT. I would say, but then the Friday or weekend, like、uh, we are located in the Lower East Side, so it's actually really a lot young people in here. It's like a twenty or thirty years old,、hmm. and then Thursday or little slow day. Was slow time too. The still thirty, forties, sixties. Yeah, I would say it's all over.、Mm. Which is interesting because、uh, younger generations, I thought,、uh, drinking less spirits and more beer or something else. So it's interesting, right? Because it's such a、um, profound world to discover about spirits. Yeah, especially last. I would say like a lot. The first. One two years after we really stop serving ice, the、uh, people actually leave every time I say like we don't have ice. And then last five six years, I would say, the、like, people still sipping with the ice. So I really kind of seen that that all the you know how people drinking the differently the last couple years. Okay, so speaking of、um, what your place、uh, or at your home, what's your favorite way to taste、um, Japanese whiskey? 
I mean, I, there are many whiskeys, so <laughs> I had to pick. <laughs> so uh, take Japanese whiskey. What's your favorite way? Uh, I always actually stay, I mean, start with like a highball, like a whiskey soda, and then move to like a really sipping. And then I would say people, people always say like, uh, I can drink whiskey because it's too strong. But then think about how much you drink in a cocktail. Like uh, whiskey, actually, you drink slow, so it is strong on the palate. But then you don't shoot, so and then it, it keeps changing the glasses too. So it's fun. But then personally, I drink neat all the time. Mm. Yeah, I like the way how it looks, like um, you know, in the glass, and also the. As the temperature warms up, the smell is more evaporated to your nose. So I, I agree, need is kind of, you know, extend the time you are able to taste it, unless you do a shot. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a such a really wasting that you people doing shot because uh, if you once you pour in the glass and you smell, and then the alcohol is very sharp. But as he ex- ex- oxidizes, like, uh, let's say, five minutes, ten minutes, the, even, like, sometimes I wait, like, a one hour or a couple hours. It's not decanting, but some spirits are still too tight. So I see, like, a whole time, like, uh, see that the changing in my glass all the time. So I, so every time I go to the bar, I usually order, like, a two, three pour of whiskey. Or can be mezcal tequila rum too, but uh, also brandy. But I order two, three drink in front of me, and then I sip little by little for like an hour. Mm. So I, maybe to other bartender, I don't spend enough money, but that's how I drink, and then that's how I discover something new, and then it can be applied to my job too. Because uh, okay, this glass, mm. th- this whiskey, you have to wait twenty minutes, and then come back to 20 minutes, but the meanwhile, maybe I can pour something else too, but just, uh, I'm a drinker too, more like, uh, uh, to say, I hate to call myself some real bartender, <laughs> but, but I, I'm a drinker also, so I want to always, I'm looking for or seeking something, you know, fun in my grass all the time, so, and I like to share with the people. Right. If I find, yeah, I understand. That. Especially if you have different flavors, and uh, you can taste the contrast, and then you appreciate each more probably. So that's interesting. Um, okay, and uh, so um, how? I mean, this is like actually I, I want to ask this question. So I heard about the Japanese gins are popular too, right? Do you carry Japanese gins and are they popular? We don't have any gin in Boca, but uh, I have in my house a few bottles of Japanese gin. I, I drink gin too, but uh, it is fun. Gin is like a, it's very popular in the, not only in Japan. It's also like a, right now all the Scotland, like a, people, if you go to the Scotland, people think, all the Scottish people drinking Scott whiskey, which is not true. They drink in gin and beer. Mm. Uh, so gin, gin culture is really 
popping up you know everywhere in the whole world right well i i heard it in the spain people are not drinking wine spanish wine but instead usually a gin and tonic of different yeah. flavors <laughs> so gin is kind of very overlooked category but actually people are drinking it so but uh, in japan we have a lot of our own herbs and then spice so we, we our gin is also quite unique my friend uh, making mezcal and then um, he's American from uh, New York but he always seeking some uh, ingredients in the uh, whole world so now he lives in Oaxaca and then he actually making gin slash absinthe slash mezcal because <laughs> <laughs> based on the mezcal he uses uh, some botanical and then he find out the local juniper so it is gin but also he found out the local wormwood to make absence. So he put everything to make a gin slash absence slash mezcal. Mm. So the, you, I, I think uh, you can clearly see that the terroir driven, like uh, the all the herbs or spice you can find in local. And then you can mm. really make a very unique gin in each local, you know, even prefecture in Japan too. Right. Well, that's the point, right? We tend to forget that spirits are kind of very regional drinks of whichever the culture comes from. So, yeah, that's a that's a great point. So, okay, so I think we need to wrap up here. Um, so what are your plans and dreams? I guess today is tequila or mezcal. Like, now it's 80 degrees outside. Right. yeah that's true yeah you really this is ridiculous right um after new york city marathon days so it's an indian summer so it's uh it's hot outside today right okay so enjoy those and so we can we find your updates online and on, on social media where is the address uh i taking care of the copper look instagram uh Facebook, not that much, because uh, it linked to the Instagram, so it's the same post you can find. Okay, so you can just, just search Copernog. Yeah, or people shoot me a message that sometimes go what to buy, what to drink, even though they're not Copernog, and then I respond. So shoot me a message sometime. Right, and also, of course, um, if you go to Copernog, Tomo is behind the bar, so... That's really uh, an amazing space. And uh, it's a really um, special space. Hopefully, um, you know, that place, maybe you open a brunch or something. But um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So good luck and uh, keep me posted. And uh, so the so the Instagram account is uh, Copper and Oak NYC. That's one word, Copper and Oak NYC. Yes. Right. All right. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tomo. No, thank you very much. Right, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or akikowatema.com. Japaneeds is a weekly program and is always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineer is Amen Spenjan, and I will see you next week. Banyeats is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.